Hello, beautiful humans. You bet it's new. And now, on with the show. Hello, welcome to episode three of the Billy Billy Broadcast. How is everybody? How has your week been so far? So tonight's show is actually an idea brought to me by a good friend of mine, Leah. You can find her on TikTok at Mother and Co. We became fast friends and now I call her Science Mom. She wanted me to make a whole episode about something from the sideshow that I love. And she said, and end it with Lavinia Warren. Well, I'll do you one better. I'm going to do a whole episode on Lavinia Warren. If you're newer to my channel on TikTok, you may not know that I am obsessed with her. She was billed as the queen of beauty for a reason, and she was married to one of the most prolific little people to ever walk the face of the earth. I say one of the most because, in my opinion, Lavinia is the tops. So without further ado, let's talk about Miss Lavinia Warren. Lavinia Warren was born Mercy Lavinia Warren Bump on October 16, 1842, to two average-sized parents in Middleborough, Massachusetts. Not just average height, I should actually say they were giants in their own right. Both her mother and father stood at six feet tall. A few years after Lavinia was born, her parents birthed another proportional little person named Minnie. Interestingly enough, Lavinia and Minnie had a type of dwarfism that is only caused when twins have children. Those children have children, which are now cousins. Those cousins get married and have a child. Creates a pituitary issue that causes this form, proportional dwarfism. Now, I found this to be very interesting that Lavinia Warren's family comes from a long line of intersecting branches on the same tree. But back in the day, especially with English royalty, which is where she descends from, it was very common for cousins to marry each other, third cousins, fourth cousins, heck, even first cousins to marry each other to keep the bloodlines pure and keep the money literally in the family. Um, I find this so interesting because proportional dwarfism back then was... I won't say common, but common enough that P.T. Barnum had an entire troop of little people who had the same disorder under his watchful eye. And this was just in America. Mind you, like I said, this was English descendants. There were tons over in the U.K. at the same time as well. This is also why we don't see it as often nowadays, considering that monarchy and patriarchy is more of a straight line instead of a curvy one, if you know what I mean. At a very early age, Lavinia showed an aptitude for learning just in general everything around her, specifically mathematics and literature. Um, she became a teacher. That was her first job. She was a teacher for three years, after which she decided to leave the classroom and become a performer. Her cousin owned a Mississippi showboat. And she took up a job there performing as a miniature chanteuse until the age of 21. Now, the whole reason she got into performing is because she did see all the popular sideshows around and went, ah, I could make money doing that. But she had her eye on stardom 
From the get-go, she was enamored with the idea of working with P.T. Barnum. She was even more enamored with the idea of working with Tom Thumb. Now, Tom Thumb had been working with P.T. Barnum since he was a young child, and now into his early adulthood, he was looking to marry. Which, to Lavinia, this sounded like a fantastic opportunity, but it wasn't without its speed bumps along the way. Being as friendly as she was, Lavinia made a lot of friends very quickly, and one of those people was Commodore Nutt. He was another one of P.T. Barnum's proportional little person performers, and he was absolutely smitten with Lavinia Warren. He had to have her, wrote her love notes, played chess with her, followed her around like a sick puppy dog. Another proportional little person who was madly in love with Lavinia Warren was Primo Magri, but we'll talk about him later. So while Tom Thumb had this kind of guise of being the most eligible bachelor, Lavinia quickly became the most eligible bachelorette. Also keep in mind that this entire time that P.T. is putting on this show of these two eligible little people, um, as, as well as all the other ones, too. It was a constant chatter of who's going to marry who, this, that, and the other. The drama, the drama, the drama. Mind you, from the onset of meeting, Tom Thumb and Lavinia Warren were madly in love with each other. They never left each other's side. They were always together, dined together, played board games together. And it was never a question as to who her affections belonged to. And yet that didn't stop anybody from trying anyway. It became a never-ending saga for them, and honestly, I'm pretty sure it came to a head. I've heard wind that both Tom Thumb and Lavinia Warren went to P.T. Barnum, and they were just like, hey, we want to get married. This is getting a little silly. Do you mind? Well, of course, P.T. Barnum went, oh my god, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me. His two biggest earning performers getting hitched. Oh, and boy, did they make money. The wedding date was set between Tom Thumb and Lavinia Warren in 1863. In normal P.T. Barnum fashion, Barnum sold tickets to the wedding. The wedding wound up grossing over $125,000 before concessions. This was just in ticket sales. Mind you, like I said, this is 1863. With inflation... $2,583,000. This was a sight to behold. The wedding of the decade. The century, might I even dare say it. Each ticket cost $75 back in the day, which, you know, with inflation, people are paying mad money to be there. And the first thing you saw when you walked into the wedding was Lavinia and Tom sitting atop a baby grand piano saying hello to everybody as they go into the chapel. Lavinia's dress as well as Tom's getup were hand-tailored to perfection. Lavinia's sister Minnie was her bridesmaid and Minnie's dress costs almost as much as Lavinia's. And the party they had makes the great Gatsby look like chump change. After that wedding, Tom and Lavinia settled into married life. I'm just kidding. No, they didn't. Because after they got married, they were ten times as famous as they were when they were both single. They went on a huge national tour. They were gifted multiple expensive items from retailers. 
Tiffany gave them a silver and gold lined coach that was proportional to them that they would just ride around in. It was a definite I see it, I want it, I buy it situation for a few years. But after a while, you know, the novelty wears off just a little bit. And P.T. Barnum was faced with a struggle of trying to figure out how to drum up more publicity for the couple. One of the ways he did that was to paint them as sympathetically as possible, almost infantilizing them, which pretty much went against everything Lavinia stood for. Lavinia, at her core, is an intellectual. Being treated like a child when her first job was to teach them is more than insulting. But it was also something that she understood as part of her job. She wrote a few times to friends saying that she laments the way that the public treats her, constantly poking, prodding, pulling at her, wanting to pick her up. But, that you know, if that's the price she has to pay to be where she is to live the life that she's living, she was okay with that at the end of it. After having a heart-to-heart with P.T. Barnum, Tom and Lavinia did agree that they did need some kind of publicity or something to drum up some drama but they were just hoping to do so without taking away their autonomy or adulthood. And what is the best way to go about this? Well, what's more exciting than a wedding? A baby. Now, the risks were much too high for Lavinia to have a child, and while they did try to conceive, um, genetics were just not compatible for producing one. So what does P.T. Barnum do in return? not say, oh, okay, it's not going to work out. Let's do plan B. He just teamed up with an orphanage and said, hey, you got some orphan babies and put them up instead. There are multiple cabinet cards of Lavinia Warren, sometimes with Tom Thumb, but always Lavinia holding a baby. What the public didn't know is that one, it wasn't hers. Two, it wasn't Tom's. And three, that the children that they were taking from the orphanage and fostering were never the same child more than a few times. And that's because all the children from the orphanage were of average size. So once they would start growing a little bit too big, they had to switch the children out to make it seem like the child wasn't growing and that the child was in fact also a proportional little person. I have an excerpt here that I think sums it up very very well. Let me read it to you. The exhibition baby came from a foundling hospital in the first place and was renewed as often as we found it necessary. A real baby would have grown. Our first baby, a boy, grew very rapidly. At the age of four years, he was taller than his father. This would never do. Our friends predicted that our son would be a giant and that in a few years his parents would look ridiculous alongside of him. We appealed to Mr. Barnum and he agreed with us. He thought that our baby should not grow. Thus we exhibited English babies in England, French babies in France, and German babies in Germany. It was, in my opinion, a great success. And who is that excerpt by, you ask? None other than Lavinia Warren herself. As Lavinia and Tom aged, they realized that people would start wondering why their child wasn't aging as well. And so they did what any good loving parents would do, and they faked their child's death. I'm serious. They wrote an obituary for the local newspaper saying that their child of three years old had died. 
And no one back then really questioned it. Infant mortality was a daily part of life back then. And so they just figured it might have had something to do with the way that the child was born. And so everybody just let it go. It wasn't until 1901 that she started to feel just a little bit of remorse for tricking the public into thinking that she had a child in the first place, one, and two, that it had died. (laughs) So she sat down with a local paper and had an interview called Tom Thumb's Widow Reveals Secrets of the Show. Now you may be asking yourself, Widow, what happened to Tom Thumb? Unfortunately, almost 20 years prior, Tom Thumb had passed away suddenly of a stroke. Two years later, in 1885, she remarried. Remember how I said, hey, we'll talk about Count Primo Magri later? This is where he comes in. Primo had always been a very close friend of Lavinia's as well as Tom's. So much so that there are cabinet cards showing all three of them together, hanging out, drinking, playing games. Lavinia was quite a bit older at this point, so was Primo, and they just decided that they would be a good match. And they were! Lavinia decided that she no longer wanted to be under P.T. Barnum's wing. And Count Primo Magri said, you know, I'm going to go ahead and stick with Lavinia. P.T. said, wait, before you get married, can we do it again? Do what again? A wedding, of course. Take two on the second largest wedding to ever occur under P.T. Barnum. And back then, she was contractually obligated to stay with him. But he let her out of her contract with one parting shot, and that was to have that wedding. And so, she did. I have a cabinet card of Lavinia Warren marrying Primo Magri. And while this wedding was not, I'll say, as ritzy as the last one, it was very upscale. Beautiful. The dresses, the food, the suits. Gorgeous. It was a fantastic send-off for everyone involved. And you can take the girl out of the sideshow, but you can't take the sideshow out of the girl. The first thing that Lavinia did when she left P.T. Barnum was she moved home to Middleborough. And her and Primo opened a roadside oddities attraction until her death in November of 1919. Reports were that Primo was absolutely devastated and didn't live too much longer. He passed away the spring after in 1920. Lavinia Warren is interred next to, oddly enough, Tom Thumb. She has no headstone of her own that bears her name. Instead, there is only a ground marker that sits next to Charles Stratton. And all her headstone says is, his wife. So that is the story of Lavinia Warren. Or is it? Lavinia went down in history after her death as being one of the sideshow greats. And yet over time, her legacy has been lost. And the reason for that is because all we have left of Lavinia Warren are photos, interviews, and first-hand accounts of meeting her. Now, that sounds backwards, I'm sure. Well, you've got photos of her. You've got interviews of her. You've got articles of her, this, that, and the other. Well, yeah, but the way she was portrayed back then was always as Tom Thumb's wife. 
you have to understand that in 1901, when she did that interview talking about her faux children she had, she was not billed as Lavinia Warren. She was not billed as the Queen of Beauty. She was not billed as the miniature Chanteuse. She was billed as Tom Thumb's widow, even though she was currently married and had been for years to Primo Magri. The dichotomy of Lavinia Warren is one that makes me irate every time I talk about it. So prepare for me to get heated. The moment she married Tom Thumb, to the media she became Tom Thumb's blank. No longer Lavinia Warren, her own performer. Now it was how she related to the most famous proportional little person on earth. Once again, according to the media. Because any interview you see with Lavinia Warren, she is very intelligent, extremely well-spoken. Abe Lincoln had her over for dinner on multiple occasions, not because of the nature of who she was, but because of how intelligent she was. She was an astute businesswoman who had no problem standing up to P.T. Barnum whenever given the chance and saying, I demand better treatment. She's well known for being extremely loving and caring. She did not care who you were, where you came from, or even the color of your skin. Back in those days, that is a sight to behold. And yet, she's billed as Tom Thumb's wife. The things we have left of her, unfortunately, are media-driven. And since that is her legacy on paper, that's how it will live on forever. Because oral history gets lost unless it is retold. And unfortunately, those who knew Lavinia Warren in person were either fellow performers or passersby. Oral histories within the performer community are very hard to keep going unless it follows within trails of performers. Considering that sideshows started to die out in the late 30s and completely died out in the 80s as we knew them, there's nothing to be told about her personality. Now all we have are scans of what came out in the 1860s through the 1890s, but nothing. Right now, I am the lovely owner of three cabinet cards of hers. And my goal is to educate whoever will listen about Lavinia Warren and who she was and what she stood for and how interesting she was. There's a few museums in the Northeast that have collections of her clothing and her personal items, and I would kill to go see them. I can't say if Lavinia and I would have been friends if she was alive today or I was alive back then, but I can say that I respect her. I believe her story needs to be told. I also believe she deserved better than what she got in her death. And that is why I am petitioning starting this week for Lavinia Warren to have her own plaque next to her gravesite so that people can learn about her and stop stepping over her just to see her first husband. This has been the Billy Billy Broadcast. Thank you for joining me. 
If you don't already, add me on TikTok under Billy Billy B. You can always message me on Instagram at underscore Billy Billy B underscore. I have a few things in the works right now. Hopefully in the next few weeks, I'll be able to get them up and live. I'll keep you updated. You guys are great. If you have any ideas or want to hear something specific on the podcast, let me know. I'm going to be doing AMAs every other week now. But once again, thanks guys. You're the best. I love you. I'll see you.